live. Welcome back. I'm Tyler. I'm DJ. You are listening to Pores and Pixels. Today we have a special guest with us, Mark Gregory. Welcome to the show. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, Mark has uh, over 10 years in the industry. He's currently a designer at Flix Interactive and the studio head at FreeSphere. Um, they're working on a really cool game, actually, that I just found out about, and I think he's going to tell us a little bit about it later. But yeah, welcome, welcome to the show. Let's talk through what we're drinking tonight, boys. So, uh, Mark, as the guest, you get to go first. Uh, I'm on a Czech beer called Stroppen Ramen. I don't know how you pronounce it, but yeah. That's all right. So I couldn't have done better. It's a Czech lager, yeah. <laughs> I thought that <laughs> it's was... Really uh... It's very gassy, so if I burp, I apologize uh, already. We, uh, was it, I think it was our last episode. Oh, go ahead, DJ. I say, if you could pronounce it, then you haven't been drinking enough. Yeah. So, yes, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, our last episode, I was letting everyone know that my other drink outside of my whiskey I normally bring is the sparkling water, and it's also fairly gassy. So, um, you might not be alone there. But what uh, is the name of that old sparkling water you were drinking? Try to say it without sounding like a douchebag. Well, yeah, uh, that was San Pellegrino. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, tonight we're we're liquid deathing, but. Um, DJ, what are you drinking tonight, man? Tonight, I am doing a little, starting a little series of, of little variety packs that I've been buying. Uh, this one's for the next couple episodes is Stone Brewing. It's in San Diego. Uh, I've had their beers uh, quite extensively. They're pretty good. Their restaurants in San Diego are actually superb. They're very good. But tonight, I am drinking Fear Movie Lions. It's a hazy double IPA at 8.5%. And these are dangerous. These will knock you down because they are smooth. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Stone as well and have recently had the FML. And I have to agree with you. I think it's fantastic and will take your knees away. So I don't understand the name of it, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I know. The Fear Movie and Lions. Like, okay, whatever. Your marketing guy needs some work, but the beer, the, you know, the, the brewer did well. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, tonight I am drinking the old Elijah Craig Toasted Barrel, uh, which is a special release that they started doing last year, and it's been pretty tough to find. Um, I bought, I got lucky enough to find a bottle right when it released a year ago, but then I hadn't seen it again in my area until probably a month or so ago. And at that time, my local ABC store here had a wall of it, and so I went ahead and bought one for my father-in-law and one for myself. And uh, I'm going to crack that open today, boys. So cheers. Cheers. So let's jump into it. Mark, I hear that you are a bit of a horror game buff. Is that true? Uh, contrary to belief, yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, like every game I've pretty much worked on kind of like has some sort of horror vibe to it. So. Yeah. Um, what makes Dead Space 2 better than Resident Evil 4? <laughs> I knew this was coming. I knew it I just think, personally, I think it's pacing's best. Don't get me wrong, Resident Evil 4 is still like... I don't, it's not, for me, it's not the best Resident Evil, but I understand why it took the action horror genre to a new level, but I just think Dead Space 2 perfected that, like, with its uh, initial use of, like, the no-cut camera. Um... Just it, it really blended like a cinematic, um, like a cinematic action horror game. Really, I think I think it just does it. It takes it's hard to describe. I just think I, personally, I just think it's I just think it's better. I think it's it's a tighter design, whereas um, 
I think uh, with Resident Evil 4, you just get like this arsenal of weapons towards the end, don't you? Um, whereas with Dead Space, it, it, you can still feel like it's still grounded in parts of like survival horror, you know? And yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. The way to these other parts. I um, love it's very uncharted in parts, isn't it? As well, so uh, you, you can kind of see where that where it was going towards that more cinematic side of things. Yeah, I have to ask because I know DJ is wondering now. What is your favorite Resident Evil game? It's a oh God. Like I have bought Resident Evil Remake, the classic. On I, I literally bought it on the Switch the other day. So I think I own it across every platform. <laughs> it's still like chef kiss. Like, yeah. If you have like a, a Metroidvania type level design that it has, and um, the, the tension in the mansion. And plus, like I'm like 37 now, so 12 year old Mark is just like yeah, in yeah. my headspace constantly. I had such a um, an influence on me growing up, like. It, it just influenced it, it, that's what turned me on to like the horror genre like once I got into like uh, Resident Evil then like Aliens came came for me and stuff like that you know um, and it just really started to open doors to me into like the darker side of fiction yeah yeah our last episode the answer to that question was Resident Evil 3 okay with a nemesis chasing you around and I've never played it I think I might have like a long time ago but because uh, four, I always considered the best of the best for Resident Evil games, at least five was okay, six was horrible, and then seven was kind of like a rebreath. But it's just a weird series because they go in. I love the pacing in seven. I love the pacing in seven, especially that initial part when you're in the house at the very start. Like once you leave the house, it falls apart. But um, that initial section in the house, like. There's so much goodness there, you know. Oh, it scares uh, the shit and, out of you. And the, the two remake as well with uh, Mr. X just following you everywhere. Like, just the amount of tension that that brings with him just marching around everywhere for you. You can hear him marching around looking for you above you or below you. And it's just, and then you run into a liquor and he's chasing you. And it's just these systems meet systems. And it's a shame that they don't interact and fight each other, you know. And there's some, some really nice emerging gameplay scenarios that you could have there. But I understand, like, Budget's a, a real thing, isn't it? But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I played uh, seven. When, when, when that happens, it's like it's so good. It just it's like it's just so stressful, like sweaty palm syndrome in your hand, isn't it? When in those moments, I, I was gonna say. So I'm not the biggest horror buff. Like movies, games, it's not my thing. Like they scare me, and I don't know why because I know it's fake, right? But it just it gives me that panicky fear, and I don't like it. Um, but I played seven up to the part where you go out of the house, and it was scary enough during the house like you know scene scenario whatever you want to call it that i was like i'm good i don't need that yeah. stress in my life um yeah. that but, bit at the start where jack's stalking you and then uh, the marguerite the marguerite fight in the uh in the uh in the greenhouse that's yeah. superb that was horrifying that's what it is yeah, yeah yeah um so this next question is is really close to my heart um hypothetically you start a new Bloodborne run today. What is your trick weapon of choice? You only get one. I think I'm still going with the old faithful, the the saw cleaver. So, okay. So I'm still, I'm still running. I think I'm still running that. Right? Respectable. Yeah, Respectable. yeah, yeah. It, it, it's dynamic enough that it allows me to get in close and gives me range when I need it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's like a swiss army knife it kind of does a bit of everything doesn't it so yeah i would agree with that i think i was trying to think through that question earlier for myself because i'm a i'm a huge bloodborne fan it's probably my favorite game ever 
Um, comics and the art book and I've got like a whole comic series behind me and like, yeah, we see that. you can't see behind me in front of me here but I've got like uh, digital art of Bloodborne and everything it's, it's a massive influence on me it's, that, that it's atmosphere so they created is second to none yeah. it's incredible um, but I think I'm Saul Spear is my my pick I like the the pokiness of that one but I, I know exactly what you mean the, the, the cleaver and the spear both I feel like are you just can't go wrong. Found in the sewer. Yeah, on the, yeah, uh, yeah. Where you drop down and you have to do a better platform. And yeah, I can't get away crazy. from skill builds in that game, so I always end up going pimp cane to start, pimp and then <laughs> and then cut the uh, and then cut the the saw the saw spear down, and that's that's my love. So the crazy thing is, I just started playing Bloodborne with Tyler the other day. So like, I'm new to the game, and I love it so far. I think it's better than Dark Souls Three, honestly, but. Uh, the amount, we're going through levels with him and he like instantly was like oh right around here is this item and around here is this item and you just did the same thing I thought he was just crazy for knowing all that shit apparently I'm just dumb but oh, like, like video is a real thing like yes, <laughs> yes. Of videos I've consumed of that man so shout out to the lord true. daddy that's <laughs> the lord daddy yeah. my man makes amazing content so um cool well yeah that, that, that was fun um so the the next bit, I think we're going to jump more into uh, some actual discussion. And, and part of the reason that we wanted to have you on um, is to, to kind of talk around, you know, designing games. And I know that modding has had a big influence on you. Um, can you just speak generally to the importance of modding games? And then, like, how does that impact you as a designer? Like I started out knowing that eventually I wanted to get to the point where I got to, but I had no formal education in games. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't go to university or anything. and. So I kind of started doing what you guys are doing now, to be honest, about 10, 12 years ago. Started uh, doing editorial pieces for uh, Mac Game News, and I had a Mac at the time, so I was like, right, I can take advantage of this. There's a niche market there. I can probably like, build my name in this in this space and yeah. start reviewing and doing content and talking to developers. It was mainly a, the chance to talk to developers and, and go to conferences and scam free press passes because I was the press, you know, right. and stuff like that, you know, so I could have access to developers and just become a, a sponge, really, and just learn and have discussions with people that are smarter than me. Still doing that now. Should always talk to people that are smarter than you. For sure. Yeah, and then uh, after I did that for a while, it was like, right, okay, I feel comfortable enough now that I'm starting to learn more about game design. And then um, I started modding, like, like, Halo and Gears of War. That's why I have this stuff behind me to just remind me of my roots and where I came from. And I'm modding Thief. Um, I think as a... As somebody who's interested in level design and game design in general, having those uh, modular tool sets that you can just um, put your own twist on things and, and kind of like just have tools available because I say this when I go into colleges and unis and talk to students, it's like for designers, like you just want tools out of the box. Like with a lot of colleges and unis, they seem to want to force you to like make your own. Whereas you get into like a big company like I'm working at now, you have people that are 10 times better at that shit than you. And yeah. you can just, they just, you tell them what you want in a way and, and then they, they make that tool for you in the way that you want it and they make it modular so you can kind of like morph it to the way that you want it to work. And, and uh, modding allows for that basically out, out of the box and allows you to experiment and be agile and it allows you to like iterate really, really quickly as well. Yeah. So that's why I'm always on a designer's, junior designer's like, should be like making like instead of making Unreal Four engines and Unity 
engine levels for your portfolio. I'll just go and learn a mod suite, go and learn a modding tool. There's loads of them out there. I'll just reference quite a few. There's even more modern games now. You know, and, and go and build a level and publish that level on your on your website. Like, you know, you can do all of this in these days. These days now, it's not it's not as difficult as it used to be. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. everyone's so yeah, interconnected yeah. now. If you build something, you can show it off, yeah. no problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can record a video, or even better, you can have people just play it. Like especially for mod suite as a, a modding tool, you just upload your level and you're done. You know, but and then people can understand who you are, what your design philosophies are, and, and you can talk people through it when you go to an interview and it just it just makes you seem like a more, to me, a more like employable candidate, you know? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, DJ, something actually that just jumped out at me as he was talking about that is um, some of the mods that we've played lately, like level-wise for Ready or Not, have been pretty impressive. And like, I mean, you don't always think about the fact that someone had to sit down and build that. Um, Mm -hmm. but it it really is, it's, it's super interesting to see like what people can do. And it made me wonder, um, is there a game that you played when you were younger that you feel like had, um, or has, you know, like a really great set of modding tools? Probably the hammer engine stuff with Half-Life 2 is probably so agile, like as a, as a, a, a suite of content, you can do everything with it. If you want to make like a puzzle game, you can do the, the, the whole, portal stuff or mm-hmm. if you want to make a shooter make half-life or there's left for dead content in there it, it, it does so many different types of things and it's so agile in, in the way that it works the hammer the hammer suites pardon me the hammer suite is is excellent and it still holds up as well on a visual level yeah but i'm always telling designers don't worry about the visuals that's what artists are for like you guys <laughs> should be focusing on like the moment to moment gameplay and how does this space feel to play in and, and explore, you know, is it an interesting space to explore? It's all about like game feel really. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think um, I might have just jumped a question ahead, but I, I so it, like in my mind, I think that adding mods to games as a, as someone who's not building mods, but like, you know, some, there's been some games that I've played where like, I feel like the experience has been really good, but like, when you go back for, you know, playthrough number two and you're like, all right, I'm going to mod this thing until it's, you know, what I want it to be. Like, I've had a couple of games that that's been pretty transformative for. And I would say, like, for me, Fallout 4 was a game that I actually didn't enjoy that much vanilla. Like, it just wasn't, I didn't vibe with it, but I went back and modded it in. Uh, I put in a bunch of, like, so being, you know, prior U.S. military, like, having military-style weapons I thought was interesting. And even though, like, some of the fun in Fallout is shooting, like, you know, the built-together, like, scrap wood ball-bearing guns and stuff like that. Like, at some point, like, I wanted to, like, hey, give me an M4 or something. That would be fun. Let me bolt onto it. And and that sort of thing, I, I felt like, really um, was cool. Something that's even more recent um, that's a huge improvement, even though the game is amazing, uh, is we've been playing Valheim a fair bit. I don't know if you've played that at all, but there's a I mod. Know, the guys at work are always on about it. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Incredible, but um, we found a mod called Valheim Plus, and it's literally just like quality of life stuff. It's not, it doesn't do anything crazy, but it allows you to kind of play with the parameters of the server and um, uh, changes the way that you can do loot and you can make your inventory bigger and things like that, right? But it, it's it's just such a, it, it's been such a trans. Like I don't want to play Valheim without that now, so I'm hoping that you know one day the team find out about that mod and they're like, hey, we should just incorporate some of this because th- this is just quality of life stuff. It looks awesome. But um, like, are there any are there any games that you've played where you feel like there was a mod or like a a, a game that 
you know, once modded was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Like that jumps out in your mind. Well, it's probably Skyrim to be honest. Just all the, the mod impacts when they first started becoming available with this, with, uh, when they, when they filed the update for that, uh, uh, Valve published the updates for allowed to mod. Um, but start adding like the HD texture pack and, and all of these other, um, like updated uh, flower textures and, and stuff like that. And you can just create stuff that's like beautiful if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so prob- I'd probably say that that really like transforms how the game looked on a on a visual level. If it's great with modding, you can go two way. You can like tweak with the visuals, or you can like make your own content. There's like two sides of it, isn't there? You know, it's um, uh, I'm really big on uh, I'm really big on that, and I think a lot more games should probably. If they've got capacity to do it, allow people to do that more, you know, especially on console as well. Yeah. Doom Snapback was like unbelievable, like so quick to just throw a level together in in Doom 2016, you know, Mm -hmm. like Snapback. It's great. I think Far Cry 4 or 5's got a great uh, console modding editor as well, where you can throw content together really quickly as well. One of those games, someone built Goldeneye from the Nintendo 64 in. Do you guys remember seeing that? It was some ridiculously huge mod. I think it might have been Far Cry 5. But uh, they, they did the whole, like, one of the... I don't think it was the whole game, but I think that the... Was that the first or the second level where you go through and you're on the dam? You have to jump off the thing. I don't know. Some, but someone built that That's in Far Cry. Yeah, it looked yeah. incredible. That's amazing. That's what I mean, like, just allowing people to, like, ugh, have a fantasy and build it. Like, the guy that did... Um, oh, God, what's the game called that was built in the... Skyrim mod, and then he did a Unreal Engine game about it, uh, about the, the Lost City. Did you see the Noclip documentary about that guy? No, but I do love so, Noclip, so I have to check that out. Yeah, there's a documentary that uh, Danny O'Dwyer did uh, about the Lost City, and the guy that built that was a was a lawyer in America, and uh, he just built this mod uh, for the for the game, the Lost City. It got so many fans, it got so much traction. He was like, well. This is what I want to do. Quit his job, brought in another developer to work with him, and then they built like the Lost City, which has done like hundreds of thousands of units across like all continents. That's amazing. That's, that's his job now, and it's just because his mod got that big, and people were just clamoring for it so much. He's like, like, I can make like a real game out of this. Yeah. You know? So that reminds like, me of um. Idea, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that actually when you were talking about that, that reminded me um. Probably the one of the first big mods I played was on Arma 2 when they created DayZ, like in, in Arma 2, that mod. And then yeah. it got big enough that Bohemia was like, mm-hmm. we should make this a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, that that's that's not something I don't think that people think about often. But, like, someone had the idea and the vision one day, like, I would just build this inside here and see what happens. And, you know, if you do a good job, people fall in love with it. So it's really interesting. But, but, but like my, my friends will tell you as well in the industry, I am not the most technical designer. So like having tools that I, that, uh, an idiot like me can use are <laughs> yeah. really, uh, really important for people that, that see themselves as uh, creatives. So. Well, um, you have uh, experience in the IT field. Is that true? Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, it's a thing, yeah. <laughs> Eight, 18 years? 18 years doing IT yeah, before I uh, made the jump this year into professional games. What, what did you do in IT? It's just a standard brake fix engineer, yeah. basically. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it allowed me to, uh, to do the whole indie thing alongside it. So uh, it allowed me to 
have a creative pathway and have a stable wage coming in whilst I was trying to build my brand, basically. And yeah. Build my, build my knowledge base up, basically. That's awesome. I, the reason I, I, I thought that was really interesting, so I, I have a similar career path. Um, I got out of the Navy five years ago or so now and went to like a tech school so I could get some certifications and I did like a plus net plus security plus type stuff just to get my, my legs under me. But I started at, um, EMC for a little while as a break fix engineer for, uh, one of their storage products. And it, I think you're, you're right about the fact that a lot of those types of careers, especially now with everything being, well, not everything, but mostly, you know, being remote, like it gives you so much time to work on other endeavors and it, it can be a really great, great, um, career for creatives because it gives you time to do your own thing on top of, like you said, making a steady wage. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah cool question. Go on, sure. Sorry. Yeah. So 18 years in a career field is, I mean, that's, it's a long time. Like you, you can, at that point in time, you could retire, you know, like you, you could finish your out your career during that and without not many hiccups. So what, what drove you to like just drop it and start going into game development? Can you talk a little bit about that? Mental health, to be honest with you. Just, 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 just this burning desire to be creative, not feeling fulfilled, and just feeling deeply unhappy in, in what you were doing. Like, in what you're doing, I felt like I love my parents, uh, but I felt like I was forced down a particular path. Mm-hmm. Games back in 2002 weren't really, there was no real course. There was a university course that was just starting up, and I was accepted onto it, but my mum and dad were like, look, like, you've got this opportunity to go and do this IT thing. There's a job there waiting for you. You should probably go and do that. And it's probably the, one of the biggest mistakes of my life. Um, uh, and then just this, and then all through my early 20s, I was into music, art, like drawing and, and creating music, just the creative side of things, mm-hmm. uh, songwriting and whatnot. So it was, um, yeah, there's just always been this burning need to create. And then um, started playing like Halo and KOTOR and stuff like that on the original Xbox and Thief and System Shock and it's just like wow this is this is what I want to do um, and it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I started like okay I should really start like looking in how to do this stuff and that's when I started looking at the press stuff so it was like well, well I can write I know I can write I'm literate so I can yeah. I can, I can talk as well I'm not like a lot of uh games developers it seems are quite introverted i'm quite extroverted i like talking to people i like putting myself out there so yeah um that's cool man honestly i those skills i don't think i'd have the stones to do something like that i feel like 18 years into something i'd be like yeah i might as well finish it out but like for anyone else that was like almost in that similar situation do you have any advice to them just be true to yourself like i'm a 37 year old man and i still shit myself when i told my mom and dad that i was quitting my nhs job uh, uh of 10 years to go and do what i've wanted to do with games and in the end they weren't even that bothered because i'm like like you're a grown man like right. yeah. issues that i obviously have to sort out myself you know like you're a grown you're a grown man you're married you're a dad as long as your wife supports you like you know <laughs> obviously like we'd rather you we're doing something stable and then it's just up to me to prove them to prove to them that like this is stable and I should have been doing this all along, which I think is something that I've proved over the last the last six months. Yeah, um, money's important. It doesn't always oh, important, yeah. but it's not everything. Yeah, I've yeah. No, learned that I can, actually, recently. I won't lie, I took a pay cut to take this job. Mm. Right. So but you make sacrifices, don't you? You know, like the car went 
do we, I'm working from home, do I really need two cars? No. So car went, some other bits and bobs had to go, but you make the sacrifices, don't you, to be, to be happy and it's probably been the most, um, probably grown the most that I've ever felt in the last six months. You know, myself just being able to be around amazingly creative people every day, it just, I feel like I'm just a different person at home now than, than what I was. Yeah. Kids changes everything. That's what happened to me when I had kids. I was like, man, money's not, money's not like where it's at. Like I'd rather be home with my kids because you you can't get that time back. You can make money whenever, but that time with your kids, you can't get that back. It was to me as well. It was about like my daughter Erin seeing that her dad's happy. Yep. Like not not miserable coming home and like I close that door and I'm like. I'm happy because I'm fulfilled in what I'm doing. You know, you know, it's tiring some nights. Don't get me wrong, because it's, it's, it's working, working on a big project at times. It's, a, it's, it's it has its moments, but uh, everybody there's super supportive. So uh, it's nice. It's nice to just be able to close the door and just be right. Dad time now, and Dad's happy. Dad's not stressed out and frustrated because life isn't the way that he wants it to be. Like it's important to me to see my daughter. For my daughter to see that going to work is a good thing, and it's and it's something that you should be doing something that makes you happy rather than doing something to make ends meet, you know, yeah. uh, and doing something purely just for the for the almighty pound or dollar, you know. Yeah. So no, that, that, yeah, it's it's hard. People don't talk about it, but like in your your first you know year or two years of fatherhood, like you get so irritated just because everything bottles up and. Yeah. it's so difficult to like mask that from your kids. Cause you know, your kids vibe off your energy. So if yeah. they see you all mad, they're going to act the same way. So it's like, it's, it's really hard to just swallow that shit. Especially as a man, like you just swallow that and just kind of like, all right, I got to act happy and like play with Legos. I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. Like I take myself out of that situation now. Like I refuse to swallow shit anymore. It made me so unwell a couple of years ago. Like, talk about mental health or like a couple of years ago I was thinking about killing myself you know because I was so unhappy in like life and we'd had quite a few traumas we'd lost a couple of babies to get this one you know and yeah. just that shit just piles up man there's a bloke you just don't talk you just bottle that shit up and then COVID hit and fucking lost my grandmother and you know and just everything just starts to pile on top you know it's just like I'm done like, yeah. you gotta take care of yourself at that well. point yeah, it's like sleepless nights, not being happy in work as well. So it's like, shit, I've got to like, spoke to the wife. So it's like, she's like, right, let's make this change happen. Yeah. Luckily, my employer at the time was amazing. They got me like EMDR therapy and that was completely transformative. Allowed me to like open up and talk about stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's so interesting with our generation now where like, so I, 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 someone who also kind of take care of, um, or take advantage of, of mental health and, and therapy. I just started doing some solo therapy. Um, I guess probably about a month ago, maybe two, so something like that. But I've been doing couples therapy, my wife and I, for uh, several years now. And I, I mean, I, I recommend it to people, you know, and even if you're like someone who's like, ah, it's not really for me. Like it, it's one of those things that I feel like once you get over the hump of like, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's something I look forward to now. Like I can't wait to sit down and just like talk because I, it's, it's hard to find people to have the conversations that you need to have. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, I, you know, if anyone out there is listening, struggling with anything like that, I mean, especially with the way that the world has been the last couple of years and depending on where you live still is, um, you take care of yourself in that, in that way. And if, if that's something that, you know, you, you maybe even think that you might be interested in, like, I definitely, I, I highly recommend that people check it out. I think it's only done positive things for me. 
Yeah, Tolkien's a massive thing, isn't it? As men, we don't do enough of it or champion it enough, like, you know, especially yeah. in friendship groups and WhatsApp groups as well. I'll, I'll throw out, I was everybody, you know, every now and again. Yeah. You know, and then that's kind of like a message to be like, okay, well, if you're not cool, like, DM me. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. DMs are always open, you know. I totally agree. Um, well, it sounds like that was a huge decision for you um, in your life and in your career. And uh, it sounds like it was, you know, you're all the better for it. So that that's exciting to hear. Um, we wanted to ask you a little bit about what do you feel like are the pros and cons of some of the AAA work that you've done versus some of the indie work that you've done? Like, how do you view those, um, you know, those two separate schools of thought when it comes to game development? Yeah, yeah. So obviously on the AAA side of things, you've got, you're working with amazing, like the best of the best, especially on like, CFE is the project that I'm working on at the moment. Like you're working somewhere with some, probably some of the best developers in the world, like on a big IP. There's like, it's, it's honestly the best thing in the world, honestly, to know that like you're working on something as, uh, as big as that. I can't, uh, and then working with the people that you get to work with as well. Um, and then just the, the the ability to just be able to talk ideas through with people who are more experienced and you know and, and have got, got better ways of working and better methodologies and better production practices than what I've been used to previously. So, like I said, like when I first started out in the press, I just wanted to be a sponge. I've gone into this now, like with that same attitude of like I'm going to be fucking sponge by the next however long it takes to get me to where eventually I want to be. You know, so. I've just gone in there and just like taken the production methodologies that I've learned from working on this project and brought them onto like my own stuff with my team at FreezeFair with what we're working on. And it's like week on week, you can see the difference that it's, that it's making in terms of just better, better working practices, basically. Yeah. Better, and better ways of working in the engine as well. Like the tips and tricks that you learn working with those people and the tools that they allow you to. Uh, that you have access to, you can like start to look at, okay, well, how do we build that in our own engine? You know, Mm -hmm. so. As a designer, do you feel like you spend a lot of time playing the game as well or no? Probably not as much as I should, admittedly, but uh, I'm I'm always playing. um, I'm not always playing something, to be honest with you, but my evening, I I usually finish work about 4.30. I go downstairs, I'll be dad until seven o'clock and then from seven till 10, I'm working on my own stuff and, so I get very little time to like. Yeah, that makes sense. To to actually like play stuff, I'm I'm always back in the editor or I'm back in a production spreadsheet or on Trello or something. Or oh my god! Me, Trello. I, me, I thought <laughs> I thought we were the only team using that. No, no, Trello is amazing. No, I know. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so the job I'm at now is the first time I had ever seen Trello, and I work okay. with people who. Like they love Trello. They use it for their personal lives, grocery lists, and all sorts of stuff. And I'm just uh, like, that's uh, not for me. That's fair. That's fair. But maybe uh, we should use it for the podcast. You know, make sure we're all on the same page at the same time. No, it's a, it's a good. It really is amazing for workflow. We can actually look at that later if you want. Um, but yeah, no, it's just interesting to hear you say that. Like that's something that you guys are using for like production methodologies. Make sure that you know you can track your work from you know point A to 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 point B and and on, so. uh, we, don't, we don't use that on the on CFUs, but like we use something that's bespoke to them. But mm-hmm. um, just um, being able to understand the process, like, yeah. and, and then just okay, what can we translate it to? That's free because we're indie. So yeah, yeah. Was, uh, 
That's the one that makes the most sense. That makes sense. Um, and then on the indie side of things, it's more about just being agile with your design constantly. You can yeah. you can you can pivot quicker. Whereas if you're trying to pivot with something on Sea of Thieves, it, it takes uh, obviously takes like a lot longer to do. So yeah. it takes a minute to to turn the ship. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Sea of Thieves is a game actually that I had not played very much of, and DJ was a big fan of. And then he was like, dude, you got to try this. And I tried it. And it is such like, it's just such a fun game. Like there's, it's, it's hard sometimes to find, at least in my sphere of interest, games that are like relaxing. Like I legit will sit down to relax with like a Soulsborne game. That's as relaxing as I get. Um, Which I think, you know, maybe there's a lot more people doing these days, but um, that's rage inducing for a lot of folks. And uh, Sea of Thieves was just like a good change of pace for me. Like it's fun. I love the art style. I think it's amazing, and it's so much like uh, it, it's just it's a great time with friends. There's you so can, much laughter in that game. Yeah, I feel like you can just mess around, like get drunk and play your instruments and crash into mm-hmm. people and like just go on adventures. It's a good time. So yeah, we we would get chased for like thirty minutes in real life, and we'd be laughing our asses off, like going around little islands and trying to do crazy shit to get away. Yeah, like yeah. we had a great time with that game. Yeah, super fun. Um, one of the things actually that we, is that we don't have this as part of the question. So if you don't want to answer that, that's totally fine, and we'll just move along. But something that I thought about while we were talking is. Working on a project like that, that's that big, like, do you guys as the developers ever feel like any change? Like, does it feel any different for that game to be on Game Pass versus that being traditionally sold? So it's well above my pay grade, to be honest with you. Okay. So, yeah, I, I wasn't yeah, sure. No, no, I'm just a, I'm just a designer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but um, Rare is a Microsoft-owned studio, isn't it? So it's yeah. natural for it to be on Game Pass anyway. So. I think it's amazing. I mean, that, that's that's how I, I kind of got into it. Um, like, full disclosure, I'm a PlayStation yeah, PC player. Amazing. Yeah, Game Pass in itself is an amazing thing. So like, cool. Just, yeah, I think the guys on it that made... Um, Oh, our wilds spoke about how it just allowed them to open up to a completely new audience after that game launch. Like yeah. it had done really well, but then like once it was on Game Pass, it just went poof, and yep. it just kind of exploded and it was everywhere. You know, so. I played Outer Wilds on on Game Pass. I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. I think it's so. I mean, it's just it's nice, honestly, in in the market today to feel find something that's like that wholesome from a consumer standpoint. Like mm-hmm. it, it's so reasonable and they really do open you up to like so many games that you might not otherwise get to play. So I think, uh, just wouldn't have interested you generally. Yeah. Yeah. Or like it, it would have boxed themselves in, don't they? You know? Yeah. So it, it's one of those things where sometimes like I might would have had some interest, right. But maybe not enough to, to warrant like a full price tag. And, and so a good example of that for you. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that changed the way I looked at, at gaming to some degree. Like I had never played or not really, I hadn't played racing games um, since I was really young. Like I played midnight club and, you know, need for speed underground and stuff like that. But I had gotten out of it for so long and I, I wouldn't have bought them, but, but um, I picked up Forza um, on game pass and fell in love with like the simulation of it, like trying to, you know, really break in lap times on certain circuits and that sort of thing. And, um, I don't know if you can see back here behind me. I know that the folks listening can, but I've got a full like sim racing setup. Like it's you know budget, but it's it's a blast to sit down and uh, I've got Gran Turismo Seven up there on the on the PS Five, and I'm, I'll sit up there and just crush laps now. Like it, it's not something I would have done had I ever, you know, if if I hadn't ever played Forza, and I wouldn't have played Forza had it not been on Game Pass. So it is really interesting how like making games that accessible to people 
it, you know, it, it changes the, the way that people view certain types of games. So yeah, it's important to like broaden your spectrum on the games you play. Cause like you were never a racing game guy. I was. Mm-hmm. And before that I was never a Soulsborne game guy. And now I am. Yeah. Like, welcome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the amount of stress you as a person have caused me just because <laughs> of me into Dark Souls games. I know. Is immense. You never had more fun though than the Dark Souls three, like right outside of of Pontiff, the little fight clubs, like hours worth of fight clubs. Like you've never had more fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, no. that's like the first fight with like the cleric beast was one of my first ever Dark Souls like Soulsborne's experiences, and it killed me and killed me and killed me. And then like the adrenaline and the euphoria that I felt like when when you beat that nothing like it. Like, there's, there's there's nothing that's come close to it, apart from maybe like the first Xeno encounter in like Alien Isolation, but but that's like a completely different like spectrum. This was like pure euphoria, but this is like pure terror. <laughs> I, so I, it's so funny you bring up Alien Isolation. I was gonna bring it up because I I love that game. That game scared yes. the shit out of me every time I played it. But like I've learned that not many people have played that game. Tyler, I don't think you've played it. I remember you that, talking about it on, the, on deployment and being like, that was horrifying and it's amazing, but I haven't played it. Dude, that game, it, like the little beeper they get, the motion detector, you're just like walking around doing the missions and it's like beep, 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 and like your heart in your, like your actual chest will start pounding and you're like, I need to find a fucking table to crawl under or a closet. Like that game is intense and there's no reason to be. And it learns what you're doing as well. So if you keep doing that same technique, uh, the, really, the learning, the, learning, the, the learning algorithm of the AI of the AI will, will, will figure out that like, oh, this this player always goes into this sort of like location, so it starts looking. I did not know that. Another crazy. Another crazy thing about the game is I had it on the 360 with the the Connect. The AI, AI will listen to you. So like when I was like in a closet and like in like sitting on my couch, like oh shit, oh shit. The so, alien yeah. could hear you and it'd kill you. It took what? Me four days to figure that out. Yeah, it's nuts. Because the Kinect's got a microphone built into it. No, that yeah, makes sense. That's crazy. I didn't know that they did that. That's super cool. Just from a design, you know, philosophy. That that's that's amazing. I love when games do when they when they bring together like not just like gameplay mechanics, right? But like other things like that. Like one of the things I really do. I think re- the reason I love my PS5 so much is the haptics when they're done right. Like they really do enhance gameplay. Oh, so good, right? When I first played it, it was like Christmas Day when I was five, like in my hands. Like, I mean, I was like, oh my God, this just feels like nothing I've ever felt before in, like, in terms of like feedback. It's amazing. So I haven't played Returnal, but on Gran Turismo 7, like I love like the feeling of like brakes and throttle. And I can tell like when I'm hitting the curbs versus when I'm on tarmac, like I... It really does change the way that, like, I mean, you can feel when when tires break loose, right? Like, oh, I'm going into a wall. Like, here we go. You know what I mean? So, I think, I mean, when people talk about, I mean, we're going to do an episode at at some point, I think, on, like, console wars just to, you know, talk about the the differences because I think we've kind of all been all over the spectrum throughout our, you know, time as gamers. But I think one of the huge leg-ups that PS5 has right now is that haptic feedback. Like, it feels so good in your hands. And it, it's hard to know, though, until you until you do it. Like, if you're someone who's never touched it, it might be like, oh, that's gimmicky. I'm not going to worry about that, right? But when you play something, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's neat. Um, but, yeah, so I had a, 
I'm not going to, you know what, we'll move along because I'm not going to be able to remember it. I had a, I had a thought <laughs> while we were talking about the previous topic and it's, it's gone. So, um, the symptoms of day drinking. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Um, well, Mark, tell us a little bit about the, the game that you're working on, um, with your studio. Um, I have seen a trailer and I got, I got some like cosmic horror vibes. I don't know if that's accurate, um, but it did give me some like Bloodborne esque LP, you know, some Lovecraft um, kind of like I, just, just the vibe. So, talk to us a little bit about Necropolis Suite. Um, yeah, wow, well, oh God. <laughs> yeah, where to start, right? Wherever you want. Well, Necropolis Suite's a, a first-person detective cosmic horror game. Is probably the best way to describe it. The TLDR is it's. Um, it's uh, Outer Wilds meets meets Lovecraft, essentially, but with no tentacles because <laughs> yeah. I'm fed up of seeing marketing teams demand that tentacles be in a Lovecraft like a Lovecraft inspired game and cosmic horror goes beyond Lovecraft, but you have to mention Lovecraft because of marketing. It's it's uh, it's, uh, it's, true. it's such a marketable phrase now, like people still don't understand that cosmic horror is like Lovecraft and Lovecraft is cosmic horror, you know. So. It's, mm-hmm. But the, yeah, essentially that's that's what it is. Um, uh, to be honest with you, we're, um, we've been working on something else alongside uh, Necropolis Suite for a, for a while. Um, Necropolis Suite is a really really big game um, and probably requires uh, a team to be working on it probably full time. To be honest with you, so we've kind of um, <clears throat> the last few months been um, looking at ways that we can re- reuse our engine and assets to build something. Pardon me, one second. Problem. We build something that's uh, build something that's a little bit more sustainable for the team. That is, uh, everybody's got full time jobs that works uh, at FreeSphere, so they do FreeSphere part time. Some do four hours a week, some do ten hours a week, some do like me as a maniac, probably do twenty hours a week. You know, so sure. Uh, everybody kind of pitches in what they want to pitch in when they want to do it, but it just felt like um. um Necropolis uh, just requires um, you to be constantly in that headspace because we've got like uh, our, in our version of the insight system. So the insight system was derivative from Bloodborne. Yeah. So when you go to Cathedral Ward and you've got like forty insight and the moon changes, doesn't it, and gets bigger and the skybox changes and the amygdalas are hanging off the sides of the of the buildings. Uh, when I first saw that, I was like, "Whoa, that would be really cool." Because I'm all into immersive simulation. Pretty much every game that I've worked on has been had some lineage to like the immersive sim genre. So it's like, I wonder how you do that in real time. So it's like, okay, let's start prototyping how we do that in real time. So it's like, okay, I built like a fake insight system and interacting with some items, pumps up your insight and it's like, okay, all these world state changes go on around you. So like the architecture of the level will change, the weather system will change, the skybox will change, the ambience will change, you know, the moon size will change. Yeah. That's cool. Potential enemies in and out, but it's not just um, linear. That it only goes one way. You can come down that lead, come down that system as well. So, like, if you come up in Bloodborne, you come up against like the the inside sucking yeah, the, uh, the really brain sucker you know. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we obviously don't have that. So we we playing with ways like, okay, how do you decrease insight in in our world as well in Necropolis? So um, we've got this whole system built. Um, but, but the game itself just requires um, it probably requires funding to, to allow us to, to get to that point and then we've got a lot of younger people on the team yeah. like, uh, post postgraduates or are still 
in college and university because it's really important to me that we give young people a chance and I'll go, I'm all, because I never got that. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's really important to me that they go into college or uni or have got get their degree and they're looking for games and they can be working on something that's that's got a Steam page and is, and is going to come out eventually, you know, so. Um, Especially for something that's just, clearly just a passion project. Yeah, just not breaking them, you know, in terms of like, okay, like I need this and this and this. It's just, it's, it's a really big project. So it's like, okay, what can we make that's sustainable, really? So it's like, let's take those existing assets and then let's look to build something that's sustainable in a shorter amount of time and, and let's get some experience into the, into the younger uh, members of the team and whatnot. Yeah, that's uh, cool. I really, I really want to build my, my, my studio around this team. I want to look after this team. I want to do right by this team, you know, so. And that's good because, I mean, in today's age and like gaming, it's few and far between where a game will come out that you can like tell as passion was made into it. Like it was made because they actually enjoyed making the game vice yeah. the end result, which is the money. And having that kind of impact on young people, I think it will enhance the gaming industry as a whole because those people will go out afterwards and go and put that their passion that they got into other games that eventually, you know, 10, 20 years down the road will play. Yeah. I, I had a couple of thoughts as you were thinking uh, or talking as, as well as, is um, number one, I mean, I love the the idea of giving, you know, folks a shot that you didn't have, right? Like, I think that's amazing. And it's such a, uh, really like just a commendable way to view, uh, you know, the development process and then also giving people a shot at having like a real, you know, career and, and learning that sort of things. I think that's, that's so cool. The second thing that I wanted to say is the Bloodmorn inside system, I think is to date one of the cooler, like little touches that if you're not paying attention, you really won't even notice it until someone points it out. Right. But once you realize that, that like, that's such an immersive detail, once you see it and you're like, Oh my God, like I was, I was telling DJ the other day, I was like, hey, you know where you go and pick up and you get the top hat and like the crazy outfit? Like if you stand there for too long, you're going to die. And he was like, no, I missed that part. Well, I was like, you know, there's that blue sphere that kind of floats down. And originally when you first play it too, you're like, what in the heck is that? But like, if you come back there later with the insight, you know, now it's like, oh, like I can see what was doing that. And it's such a, it, it's so, um, it's just interesting to see the transformative nature of like when that game starts, it's like a Van Helsing is like, we're just going to go fight beast. And then by the end of it, like you're fighting cosmic gods yeah. and you're like, what happened? <laughs> How did we get from point A to point B? Right. Um, so I, I think so that you go beyond the veil, don't you? you yeah, know, yeah. 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 That, that's a, as, to what, as to what it is. You that's know, a that's, perfect way to bring that up. And, and you start out, like you said, like uh, you, you start out with an ax or like a, a saw cleaver. And by the end of it, like you might have the moonlight sword or like, you know, if you played the DLC, that crazy amygdalin arm club that you could be people with. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it just really, like, like, yeah, I mean, you go beyond the veil. It's a perfect way to say it. Yeah, so I think um, the fact that you guys kind of incorporated something similar to that into like a detective game too, I think would be so cool because, I mean, the whole point, right, is for you to perceive things. Like you've got to figure out I, mean, I don't know the story to the game, right? But as a detective, like your your job is to perceive the details that others miss and to figure out, you know, what's going on in, in a given, you know, scenario. And so to to think about how an insight system might play with that is so interesting as a, a consumer or a gamer. Um, like I, I like a wild, like, um, exploration elements with it and the way that it tracks information as well with its mind map system and, 
the way that they all link in together. It's just, uh, I'm really excited for when we get this game out, like, can we get some budget put to one side and can we, can we make this the way that we want to make it without yeah. having to make any concessions for it? You know? Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, can you talk a little bit about the game that you guys are working on currently? Like um, alongside of it? It's super early, but again, it's, it's cosmic horror based and based in the, in the, in the early parts of the 19th century mm-hmm. in Britain. So like, uh, like Necropolis was set in London, we'll be setting Suffolk for this one in a place called Ipswich. So, uh, will the yeah, setting, um, will the setting not being like being different from London? So I'm, I'm not super familiar with the UK. It's not a place I've spent uh, any time, but like in game, will that like change kind of the way that it feels? Well, based in the countryside rather than a busy metropolis like the cool. Victorian era London, you know. Yeah. Samar's been a big influence on it. So, what, what, say that again. Seen, I'm, it broke up. Have you seen the film Midsummer? Uh, like, I have not, but I, I know I what you're talking about. Big, big influence, like on a visual level from it. Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant like I was like, if it's like Midsummer, like. The way the game is going to be played is going to be crazy because that movie is nuts. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Sorry. it. I have to watch that. Yeah. That's pretty cool movie ever. I call it. Like, <laughs> I went into that movie with like like vanilla eyes and ears. Like no one told me about it. They're like, "Hey, we're going to watch this movie," and I was like, "Okay." And then it goes to the part where that couple Heavy. turns like they turn like seventy two or whatever, and they just jump off a fucking cliff. And I was like, "What? What is this?" Did you guys watch that, that on a deployment? Yeah, yeah, it was on yeah, the That the, sounded the like a movie yeah. burn in the lounge. Like, what are we watching tonight, boys? Like, no one knows, but here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you, seen, have you seen his previous film? Have you seen Ariesta's previous film, uh, Hereditary? I have. Uh, long, when yeah, it first yeah. came out, I don't think I watched it afterwards, but it, that movie is also bad oh, shit. It's, yeah, it's like, it's like the current day Shining for me. Him and uh, uh, Robert Eggers, who did The Witch and The Lighthouse and mm. it's done The North. I did see The Lighthouse, and I thought it was amazing two of the best directors in that horror genre at the moment. Like, they're making some amazing stuff. Amazing oh, stuff. When we watch That's The Lighthouse. Like really amazing cosmicism as well. Like, there's like this yeah. real cosmic horror beyond the veil type uh, stuff that's going on with occultism in all of their films basically. Uh, Jordan Peele is also making some pretty good like horror type yeah. movies. I haven't, I haven't seen the new one Nope yet, but I can only imagine it's going to be good. Is that the guy that did Get Out? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing Nope yet, but it's on the radar. The Northman is on my list to watch. I didn't actually didn't make the connection that it was the same guy who did The Lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert, I guess, yeah. I have yeah. to check that out. I really love The Lighthouse. My wife was like, what are we watching? This is weird. And I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> you like me, Yellow Lobster. I've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. I have to go check that out. Cool. Um, well, I think um, we're probably at the end of things. Uh, DJ, unless you have anything else, or Mark, if you have anything specific that you want to talk about, kind of let, let people know what you're working on. But I think we, we just ran through most of it, yeah? Ran through it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, then we're just going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Um, Mark, thanks so much for, for joining us and, and for being on the show. And, um, you know, for everyone out there, thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye.